Hello and welcome back to Quarantine. Uh, we took a brief hiatus there for a week so I could release my web series, which just, you know, performed even worse than it did on YouTube. I didn't think it was possible to do worse than it did on YouTube, but somehow I found a way on Instagram, which is like my platform. But uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm releasing too much content. Maybe people just aren't tuning into Instagram anymore. Um, but I've decided to hear what you were saying, completely ignore it, and release more content again. Uh, you're probably not hearing this unless you're watching, listening to the actual episode. I don't know if you found it through Instagram, if you're just a loyal listener, one of our 15, or if uh, you're just a random person that discovered it through Apple Podcasts or YouTube. But we are back. Um, today's episode, really awesome episode. I speak with uh, a friend of mine, um, Definitely the person I had my most heated and and uh, well-prepped-for roast battle, um, which got me ranked afterwards. Um, uh, it was an epic battle, and a lot of people showed up. You can watch that battle on my Instagram. Uh, I'm talking about Mary Elaine Ramsey, a very funny comedian, really unique, finding her voice. Uh, we have a long conversation. I think this is actually the longest episode of the podcast. Maybe it's in part because I took so much time off, but, but you know, I think we talked for like an hour and a half. You don't have to listen to all of it or listen to all of it because I think it's all pretty interesting. We have a, a pretty good chat. But um, with that being said, uh, let's get started. I was going to I considered rebranding the show as quarantine, quarantine your enthusiasm. Uh, it was something I had tweeted that Mary liked. She also goes over my Twitter in this and tells me what's wrong with it. Uh, but I've decided to stick with quarantine, though I did add quarantine your enthusiasm to the logo for this specific episode because Mary was on and she was the one saying I should do it. I don't know. You guys can leave comments telling me if you think I should or if you like quarantine and, you know, stick with if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But um, I think this show has been broken from the very beginning. Uh, anyway, with that being said, let's get started. Quarantine episode 16 with Mary Elaine Ramsey. I'm, I'm reading this crazy article about this person. About who? I don't know, some some 36-year-old talking about the agony of their uh, coronavirus, but I'll stop reading it. It's probably not a good idea for me to read. Oh, God. You know, I feel like it's almost pointless to read those because it's like, what's going to happen? You get it? And then, like, knowing what you're in for, does that make such a difference? I know, and we all already feel bad about it enough as it is. We don't need, like, any more evidence. We've already done three weeks of being stressed out about it, you know? Yeah, we've had a lot of time to sit around and think about it. I woke up. Today was the earliest I've woken up in a long time. I woke up at, like, 9 this morning, and then I was like, yeah, I'm up early. I could get more done today. What should I do? And then I just watched once upon a time in hollywood i was like not that a bad seems... way to spend your time not really not I, I like couldn't think of anything else to do i was like i could get up and... and then i just watched it you were in my dream last night mary i i've been having i've been having everyone's weird... been having really vivid dreams 
Yeah, my dreams have all been centered around this podcast, though, which is which has been truly bizarre. Um, I've already shared this on the podcast, so I apologize to anyone who's listening again. Not the part about your dream. Uh, I've already shared this part on the podcast, so I apologize to anyone listening again. I also say you're welcome to everyone who gets to hear this story twice because it's a really great story. I um, I had a dream last week that I won an Oscar for best podcast started during the pandemic. That was the category of the award that I won. And I was so shocked by the win that I didn't dress up to the award ceremony. And I went in just tidy whities and a tuxedo shirt. And I went because apparently that was a visual, Josh. That was apparently appropriate attire in my mind for just attending an award ceremony that you're not going to win. And then I got up on stage and I complained that the award looked different than a normal Oscar. And, uh, and like, like, damn straight. Did you notice (laughs) the category you won for? Be grateful. And I don't, I don't know what it says about me personally, because like, you know, on one hand I did win. And on the other hand, there were only two nominees in the dream. And immediately when I heard like that, there was another nominee, I was like, great. They're going to get it. Like, like totally. And then, of course, on the other hand, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and all you can think about is your own podcast. I know. You know, that's some interesting insights. Well, it was still related to the pandemic yesterday. So so like I said, I had a dream with you in it last night, also related to the podcast. In my dream, you came over to record the podcast and then um, and then while you were here, somebody else came over to um to pick something up from me and i was like hold on one second let me go give this thing i have to give to the person here and i went to go give it to them and then just asked them if they wanted to record a podcast and just did a whole episode with them and then came back and was like sorry about that and you were like what the fuck i came here to do why'd you just go and record a whole other podcast while i was waiting and i didn't have a good excuse and then like and then i feel like we went to uh we went and like redid sort of, oh yeah, we went to the, you had like a show of the improv and I went with you for some reason, but I was just freaking out the whole time because people kept coming near me and I was like, get the fuck away from me. But also like, why? <laughs> like why uh, would the improv be open? Why would the improv be open and why would I go if it was to watch a show that wasn't mine? <laughs> Although we did, we did, uh, we did have like a fun hangout like two days before what I call the Tom Hanks moment or one night before. Oh yeah, you and I, we, we were at the improv. We were at the improv. Yeah. And then we went and- low low show um where nick was sitting next to us coughing he was like relax relax i have a cough and uh later i started freaking out about that but totally total other thing and like i feel like we're totally safe from that show at this point one of the comics on the show has has or had coronavirus stop it are you kidding me no no somebody was on that show had it uh I don't want to. I don't want to HIPAA offend, break break HIPAA. But but I will tell you. Yeah. After not. this, you and I are going to have a conversation because yeah. I, I had a fever at one point. Oh shit! But you're probably okay because like well, yeah, I feel like. Ago. Yeah, because also I've been you know 
<laughs> in those articles, I do read about the people who get it with minor symptoms. Apparently, like the minor symptoms are like the worst hell of all of their life. Like that's like what minor symptoms are. It's like minor symptoms are you didn't die. There's one major symptom, and then the minor symptoms are like <laughs> eight straight days of nonstop vomiting. Really? Well, heard people fully are somewhat asymptomatic. I guess that happens too. I guess so. I don't know. Nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything. All I know is I'm stocked up on hydrochloroquine or whatever that thing is called that Trump sent. No, I'm kidding. I went to I went to the pharmacy, got all the lupus meds for myself. I don't have lupus. You'll resell but them at a higher price. Re- resell at a higher higher price. I uh oh, fuck. What was I saying? Oh oh oh. Um, I've been uh I probably shouldn't admit these things on the podcast. You know what I'm about to say is a lie, government. I've been uh, playing poker <laughs> and um, we can't like in the app send people like poker is what the money is for, like in Venmo. So I write things like for the toilet paper you've been hoarding and reselling at astronomical prices. I just like to write like messages that would get them in trouble that aren't the specific thing. <laughs> uh, prostitution. <laughs> so are- are you Venmoing a lot of people or have you been losing a lot of hands? No, I'm up. I'm up big. I'm oh, up big. It's okay. like it's like it's like what basically been my, my like like second job. Um uh, unemployment plus that. I mean you're literally bathing in cash right now. Yeah, I know, but also I could lose it all. I mean, but I've I I I've been on a losing streak, but I was up so big that like I'm still up pretty big. Um Well, all of America's on a losing streak, Josh. Yeah, is- yeah. We are. Uh, I was like, worried. I had like a moment of like worried about being worried about getting canceled for something. And then I was like, oh, yeah, America's canceled. Um, America's fully canceled. So how have you been holding up? The place looks nice. This is I guess I got a, caught a glimpse when you were talking to Liz. But yeah. this, is the new, this is the new pad, right? No, I'm at my parents' house. I'm in my attic. Oh, you're at your parents' house? Oh, mm-hmm. you went back. Okay, well, yeah, I guess the pad is nice. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... I'm so jealous. Know, I wish I was at my parents' house. Ugh, what I get to I be know. home right now. I, didn't, I thought being alone would be a bad idea. I'm just like, I'd love to be at my parents' house, but I just have this incredible fear that I'm asymptomatic. And like, like what if I'm I bring not- it home? And then I also have the fear like that I'll just pick it up traveling home. And I, I would just I no. couldn't live with myself if, if you know, I went home. No, absolutely. I made the decision to go home like a long time ago. Otherwise, I never I never would have. Um, I left, I think. Yeah, right. Pretty much right when Governor Newsom was like, we're locking. We're doing at home order for two weeks. I was like, this is going to be more than two weeks. And I, the next day, I took a flight to... Governor Newsom was like, we're, we're putting in an at-home order. And you're like, I'm going to the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I literally packed it's, my bag. It could, it like, could be deadly if you leave your house. I'm like, I'm going to go be around a lot of people right now. I need to be yeah, around people. <laughs> I, I was an idiot. I, was, I didn't do a mask. I wasn't doing gloves. And then... But hey, hey, you've made it two weeks. 
you've made, made it over more two weeks. than two weeks. Yeah, more than two weeks. So, so chances are you aren't still carrying. You aren't still a carrier if you ever were. I wonder if I was because, like I said, I did have a fever. How? Like, like within the two weeks? Like since? Yeah. Since so, so I met my mom in South Carolina, mm-hmm. and I. Right, pretty much right when I landed, I was like, honestly, I don't feel great. And mm-hmm. she took my temperature and I had a fever. How um, bad? It was 101.4. Oh, that is a fever. And, but uh, I had taken the red eye and I didn't sleep at all. And then she took it again the next day and I didn't have one. Okay. And, so and, you, never, and you didn't like have like a bad cough or sore no, throat no. or like any vomiting or anything like that? No. Just and apparently fever. sleep deprivation does spike your temperature. I know, but it's got to be terrifying to have a fever. like. I did. I basically just stayed in my room for two weeks and then reemerged. And now we're in Boston. We drove nice. to Boston. Nice, nice. Well, you know, it's definitely got to be, it's got to be nice to be at the parents' home. Um, uh, my mom's, my mom's been like trying to take care of me from home here. Like she keeps sending me things. I keep getting packages every day. Um, of just what's the typical package? Well, at one point she would like send me food. She sent me like some steaks, which was really great. Oh, that's so um, nice. And then randomly got like a bunch of tissue boxes. Um, yesterday she I got. You're crying. Hmm. Oh no no! Crying. I think she got me the tissues because she couldn't find any toilet paper or anything. Oh so she, wow! Like, some backup tissues, but I I got toilet paper. I actually did a pretty good job of prepping for this. Being the neurotic I am, I went to like Ralph's and everything two weeks before everyone freaked out and bought just tons of stuff. And uh, so I was like doomsday prepped at the start. Wow. But. But I don't know if I prepped for it to be going on this long. You know, I kind of like prepped for like two weeks. And it's going to be even longer. I bet it'll be mid-May. That's kind of my that's kind of my prediction. I think it like largely depends on how much people take it seriously. Like if people like do stay at home for real and stop going out. um, I think mid-May is a reality because, like, I think we're about. I think we're coming up on the spike. That's what they say. They say this week is the spike, so they're saying don't even go to the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, So, so this week should be the spike, which means that um, next week, or like by mid-May, hopefully it'll be like controlled, but. I still think people are going to be, I'm going to be free. I'm not like really going to be going out and doing shit mid-May. I'll, I'll still be kind of freaked out and locked up around then. I think a lot of the neurotics will. It'll be divided between the neurotics and then there'll be some people like. Who just can't spring wait. Spring breaking it, like raging. <laughs> Completely unfazed. And they'll all get sick again. And we'll have to do we'll- this all over. I mean, we can't put our faith in, like, the American people to curb this. We just need more the American time. government. It's just, it's just like, I remember when Trump won, thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, we just need to get through this 
without a catastrophe and will be okay. As long as there's no disaster scenario, he needs to be in charge. We can't have a Cuban Missile Crisis. This is so much worse than a Cuban Missile Crisis. And then um, surprise, right at the finish line, a pandemic. I mean, that's more than he bargained for, too, by the way. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I have this whole thing about how how like he's got to be the most miserable person in the world because why would he put himself through this? Why would he <laughs> why would he like like what what void is he trying to fill with what he puts himself through on a daily basis? And that's that's with no sympathy to him. It's just uh it's what just about crazy. Fauci? I wouldn't want to be Fauci right about now. But also like Dear God, Fauci, just just keep your head above water. Um, he's averaging four hours a night. He said, if he's lucky. I mean, of sleep. Yeah, that's the guy's in his seventies. You know, he's like in his late seventies. Yeah, or mid, he, mid. He looks it. You know? Really, I think he looks great for his age. I thought he was like late fifties, I mean, early sixties when I saw him. He's going to emerge from this as a sex symbol. <laughs> I was seeing Fire Fauci trending on Twitter the other day. It really freaked me out. Oh, well, come on. Of course that's going to happen. Because Trump answers to the Twitter gods. You Wait, what did you say? Saying Trump answers to the Twitter gods. So, uh, so yeah. yeah. And Can't any, be putting ideas in his head. Anytime you, you, you get like a pipsqueak intellectual doctor up there in front of a bunch of Americans saying, you have to stay inside. You're going to get some pushback. Totally, totally. From from all the Trump-like people of, of the world. Well, uh, I think quoting 60,000 people a year die from the flu. That's that's the big one they love. Yeah, well, I think, have we crossed 60,000 people worldwide uh, yet? I, I don't know. I think it's 80,000. <laughs> it's just... People, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 difficult. It's difficult. I think the most difficult thing is like the lack of consistency in the messaging from our government and the lack of like knowing what's real and what's not that comes out of their mouth. You know what By I mean? The way, and everyone. I mean, and every the person you speak to has their own predictions that they're basing on God knows what. And some are terrifying. They're like, I mean, this is the new normal. So get used to it. Well, and then, like, you know, Republicans, did you see the whole thing in Wisconsin that, like, uh, the governor, the Democratic governor of Wisconsin was like, hey, let's just make this election that's happening, that's supposed to be happening today, oh, yeah. uh, vote by mail. And this, the Republican Supreme Court's like, no. And then the Supreme Supreme Court was like, no. And I'm like, I feel very much like our only hope. I just pray every day from my home that Republicans keep going to church to pray right now. That's uh, that's what I'm... <laughs> that's where my... Nope. That's our only Did hope. Did you hear Trump? They're live streaming. Trump mm -hmm. was like, you know, I really wanted to be in mass on Easter, but I'm just going to have to live stream it. I'm like, <laughs> can you visualize Trump just sitting down in front of a computer live streaming a Christian service? I love like, I love that I love that like Trump secretly in his office like well on the bright side I don't have to go to Easter mass. <laughs> By the way, if, as a little Catholic kid, I would be so stoked to not be having to go to Easter mass. Absolutely. I mean, I mean honestly, 
truth be told, like if I was a kid right now, this whole thing fucking dream, fucking dream to be in this. I used to like, like, like you know, I, I, I would get sick and I'd be like, well, on the bright side, I don't have to go to school today. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, as a little kid, you, like I remember a teacher's like like husband died and so we had a substitute and I remember like feeling deep Catholic guilt because I was like kind of psyched about having a substitute <laughs> at least you felt the guilt I I, 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 all I felt as a kid I have this weird um memory this is like this is like a weird story that I for some reason vividly remember um my so in third grade I had this teacher and this teacher is like ends up being a patient of my dad's and um she was like she goes to my dad and she's like oh you know your son was in my class in third grade uh like what's he doing now I always thought that kid was special that those were her exact words and I have this vivid memory of being in third grade and remembering that my mom used to always like, you know, tell me like you're special, Josh, you're special, you know, oh, your yeah. other telling me. So I thought I, was, I thought I was more important than everyone in the world when I was in third grade, for sure. I thought I was destined for things. Not a lot's changed um, <laughs> except hard truths. Uh, <laughs> but um, but I remember being in that specific teacher's class and her getting mad at me because I was like acting up and her going, do you think you're special? And saying yes to her. That a I resounding do. yes. Yeah, a resounding yes. And I've been like confidently. But I also love that that implanted in her mind that I was. And that years later when she was visiting my dad, she was like, there's always thought that kid was special. And it was like, really? Because I fucking said it with that confidence. By the way, that's, that's what everything is. My dad and I were just having this conversation. Like, people fully perceive you the way you perceive yourself and like we were talking about how funny it is that Bloomberg just dropped a couple hundred million just to get eviscerated by Elizabeth Warren like that literally would have been like if I dropped a few hundred million for our roast battle and then was like <laughs> you know like worth it um, <laughs> and then my dad was like it's just crazy that like in that moment she destroyed him because of like what he said about women in the past whereas like Trump can like literally like bang hooker like no like say whatever he wants nobody gives a shit and I'm like that's because he truly feels no remorse. Well yeah there's there's this there's a power to shamelessness and I mean to it's any non massively powerful it's not to, to say good but it's no, no no to any to any non um open my LA open my ears listening to this you may not get this reference but I often say that I think Ian Russo is very much the Donald Trump of open my comedy because he has this shamelessness about him and anytime you try to knock Ian Russo down I feel like it only adds to the legend of his shamelessness among yeah. the scene I'll never forget there was this one time where Jeff Garland was giving this was like screening a special and like doing a Q&A afterwards. And I was there where? and it was like it was at um, it was at Sycamore Tavern. And uh, Jeff Garland screened his special. At Sycamore he screened Tavern? his special in the dojo at Sycamore Tavern. 
and like a bunch of comics were there. And then afterwards he did a Q and a, and Ian was there and Ian was asking question after question after question. Oh, and this was on Sunday night before the improv, uh, Mike and Ian asks Jeff Garland. So I've been like doing comedy for three years now. And like, how much longer do I have to keep doing the open mics with these shit comics? Like, to, and then Jeff Garland goes, your shit. He goes, your shit. And I, and I message Liam McEnany uh, being like, Jeff Garland just told the Russo he's shit. And when I get to the improv later, everyone's talking about how Jeff Garland told the Russo he's shit. And Russo is just eating it up, loving it, loving the attention. And I just watched, I just looked at him becoming more powerful before my eyes because of the shamelessness, you know? I would have been so embarrassed in that moment. I would have been humiliated. God, that was a good impersonation of Ian Russo. I've been doing comedy for about... I've been doing comedy his meanwhile, his his uh, I mean, I got tired of it, but his Instagram cooking show is actually kind of good. By the way, Josh, you're fixated with Ian. He has you wrapped around his little pinky. It, 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 it oh, he's interesting. He's an enigma. He is. He is. Yeah. He is. He is an enigma. I I I mean, I point out that like there's very few people in the open mic scene talked about as much as him and few people that know that like can just spout off people's bits like people can spout off his. They're not good, but they're but they're they're memorable. They're memorable. Hey, that's so some... I just, there's something there. That's he, number one, by the way, he stands out. You remember him. You remember him more than. I remember Ian more than mediocre comics who are probably funnier than him on purpose. I won't say funnier than him as a whole. Um, how are you guys doing toilet paper, paper towels and stuff? Is there a shortage in Boston? Um, I can't speak for Boston at large, but personally, we have no shortage. You have no shortage. <laughs> yeah, I that would be wild. I just got a bunch of paper towels today, but I was without paper towels for a while. Oh, that and, was insane. And yeah, it was it was good making me nuts because I also haven't been grooming myself at all. I've just been like letting it all go, beard and hair and everything. And I'm making like these very messy sandwiches. So it's it just became started to become such a nightmare every time I'd eat like a breakfast sandwich or just uh, <laughs> without paper, you need the. I really didn't realize how much I thought of everything but paper well, towels. Get when I was napkins. Prepping. Yeah, I couldn't get napkins either. I oh, just got wow. a got a ton of paper towels today, though. Finally came in the mail. Um, Remember, but I won't. I won't leave my house at all. I go on walks, but that's like the extent of it. But also, when I go on the walks, I hate everyone I see. Like, oh, by the way, yeah, there was some old guy literally like jogging, pretty much coughing. He was breathing so heavily, and I thought he would run around me. He ran right fucking at me. Well, I was telling Liz this, and I, it was even the clip from my episode with Liz when I posted on Instagram. But like, the funniest one for me was like um, very early on. 
like in the quarantine, I was still going on walks uh, more frequently. And just kind of my rule the whole time is like, if I see anyone, I just cross the street to the of other course. side to not be around them. And then, uh, and this is perfect. This would be perfect for the rebrand, which I'm not totally doing, but I'm letting your episode be quarantine. Thank uh, you. Um, uh, where I was walking and then this black guy is walking towards me. So I crossed the street like I have reverend. Then he crosses the street. And then I'm like, now I'm across the street and you're really making me look bad with this, with this double cross, which has nothing to do. But like, but like, <laughs> but I couldn't help, but, uh, I was That's like, Larry David and then, and then there was a part of me that thought, you know what? Don't cross the street this time. And I was like, but almost that would be racist because I'm letting his race impact my decision that would have been different for everyone else. Definitely to cross back. So I did the double cross yeah. and I felt looked at and judged. And Whatever. Uh, he, yeah, like, honestly, he should be judged. Social distancing right now. This is the one time you can. I get know. Away with shit. I know. Like, uh, I, yeah. I was going to ask, a, have you seen Unorthodox? No. Oh, you have to watch it. What is it? It's a Netflix miniseries. It's based off a book. It's about a Hasidic Jewish woman who escapes the Orthodox community in Williamsburg, New York, and moves to Berlin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I saw Leah Lamar, like, post that trailer on uh, Instagram. I'm uh, sure. It was so good. But um, it made me think about it because Orthodox men aren't allowed to touch any woman that's not their wife. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I am so fine with that. <laughs> Yeah, but the rules for the women are even tight. You got to wear like this wig and, and. Oh, the rules are insane. I used to do, um, I used to do catering when I was living in New York, and I would like, I would cater for this Orthodox Jewish catering company. Uh, side story of this was, um, it was like me and a bunch of college friends, and like my but college. They only hire Jewish people. Uh, no, some people were non-Jewish. In fact, like I had to hide that I was Jewish for certain events I was catering that were on religious holidays because like they wouldn't have wanted us working as Jews on the religious holiday. So um, I occasionally had to hide the fact that I was Jewish to get work. But um, I'm but so it was like. It was so much like party down. Like we would just be, Ugh. we would be like just me and the uh, and like my friends from college would just be drinking the booze, like sneaking the booze. Uh, we would get so wasted. We would be getting high in like the parking lot mid like events because they were all drunk. Like the one thing that was good about catering Jewish events is like one of like all Jews like on Jewish holidays and stuff are just chugging alcohol. It's like part of the service is just right. getting wasted. So no one, so people rarely notice that. Whereas Irish Catholics Jew. never overturned. Is that a joke? That's a joke. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm Jewish, but, uh, but I could, but Irish gave away that that was a joke. Um, but uh, so, like, and we'd just be like, like, really just you know no form and how we brought the food back and forth we'd be eating food like the kitchen and and stuff and um but all of my friends were such idiots that like 
I was definitely the most responsible and like trusted of the caterers of my friend, like me and this one other guy. And uh, I was desperate for work. And my roommate at the time was this actor. And he goes, oh, you do catering? I work at this catering company, too. Maybe I can get you a gig. And I was like, great. So he gets me hired for his catering company. And, like, again, I was, like, the most trusted, like, basically the manager at the Orthodox Catering Company. About an hour and a half into catering the event at my friend's catering company, the person in charge of it goes, excuse me, can I talk to you for a second? Pulls me aside. He goes, you are probably the worst caterer I have ever seen in my entire life. Get out of here. <laughs> and just fired me like that. <laughs> just Wait, like, do you remember? Was it Olivier Chang? I have no idea. I have no idea. All I know is like, I had like no form with how I was, I was just like bringing things out and like taking yeah. them away. I was like sneaking food in the kitchen and he saw me. He's like, 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 like what is happening? <laughs> It's insane. Like, I feel like in New York, it's either like complete degeneracy or they have these certain companies that do all the big events that are truly, it's like all these Eastern European male models who are like robotic with their precision. And it is just like, and they look so sharp and clean. Otherwise, it's like people come in looking unbathed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's food right into their mouth in front of. They hired me simply based off. Of, I think they. I think the second they saw me, they were done with me because I was by far the least attractive person working there as well. So all those companies that don't even hide it, they like call themselves like runway waiters. Like, <laughs> um, uh, similarly, when I first moved to Los Angeles, like my first few months here, I like didn't have work and I was just coasting off of my like savings. And I was like, all right, I need to get any job now. So I tried to get a job at a movie theater because like I was like, you know, I'll go to movies. I'll just work in a movie theater. So I went to the Grove and I, I applied at the Grove to work at the the Pacific Theater there. And like I wore like a shirt, a button down shirt and like a tie. And I went to like the the group uh, interview for it. And at the end, they like didn't pick me. And I was like, like, how did I not get picked for this? Like, yeah, that's like, devastating. So I go up to them and I was like, and I asked, I was like, hey, I'm just curious, you know, what was the reason that you guys didn't go with me? They were like, well, you know, you're just like, you're dressed real nice and we just feel like you're not going to be here for long. So I decided not to go with you. And I was like, okay. Then I was living in Culver City. The Pacific Theater in Culver City was hiring. So I applied there and I like dressed a little less formally for it for the interview. And I go and I go through the whole thing and I make it to like the final round of the interviews and then they don't pick me again. And I go up to the person and I ask him, like, why didn't you pick me? And they're like, well, we liked you, but I don't know. You just you didn't dress up for this at all. It just doesn't feel like you want it. <laughs> damned if you do, damned if you damned don't. If you do, damned if you don't. I couldn't win. I and then mean, like people... a week later, I got a really good job. <laughs> Okay, it was worth the wait. It's so funny. Like, I have a friend who's been in multiple writing rooms and she was out of work. And so she applied to just like work at an ice cream shop. And they're like, nope. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> I, the funny thing was, the funny thing about Brie applying to work at the ice cream shop is I could have totally pictured it. 
In fact, like if oh, I was gonna, she would have been lovely. If I could cast somebody to work at an ice cream you shop, cast Liz Glazer over. Brie. I think I'd cast Brie. I think Brie. No Brie way. has this. Brie has this perfect attitude for the ice cream shop. Liz, Liz is like. a bit of like, edge to Brie, though. She'd be like in Williamsburg. Yeah, I yeah, I know, but I, that's I see the edge in the person who works at the ice cream shop. I they see Liz artisanal. If I saw Liz at an ice cream shop, my thought would be like Liz is like exploring what it is to work at ice cream shops. Brie, I would just like wouldn't even question it. I'd just be like, this is the person who works here. I'd be like, Liz is here like studying for a part. I could just see Liz at Salt and Straw just like getting those samples out. But yeah, but like, but like in a real like Larry David is a car salesman way, you know, like, you know, like in Curb, Larry like is like, oh, he's wanted to sell cars and like gives it his go at selling cars. I feel like that would be Liz at Salt and Straw. She's always wanted to, always wanted to sell ice cream. <laughs> like she wanted to be, be a good seat at filler at the Emmys. Yeah, her version, her version of like Larry David jobs. Um, you, it's funny because you know this episode is quarantine your enthusiasm, and uh, and on and on the last on the day we hung out before no one was allowed to hang out anymore. Um, I remember I was with you and I came up with uh, this idea that which would be one question that I would ask on all of my podcast episodes, which I haven't done. Yeah, I don't remember what you said, but like if you were to bump into Larry Day and you were like, I've got a curb moment for you, you know, because oh, yeah. Larry always talks about how everyone has their curb, like, like, ugh, the most curb experience happened. What's your curb, your enthusiasm experience that you would like pitch to Larry? Well, right now I have one. Uh, this just happened the last night. I was FaceTiming with my friend. And he uh, he lives in downtown L.A. and he's living all alone right now. And his um, sister is like, oh, I'm, I'm worried about you. I'm going to stop by. I have an extra mask, whatever. And he's like, OK, fine. So she brings over the mask and then she also has a care package for him. And she's really proud to give it to him. And it's like rotten bananas a single yogurt, three fortune cookies, (laughs) two expired protein bars, and then ugly candle holders. And she's like, here, you know, uh, to get you through. (laughs) (laughs) I love the idea of like gifting someone shit. Gifting, gifting stuff. You you were going to toss it away, but toss (laughs) it out. But let me just, let me pretend it's a gift instead. And so, Obviously, someone... The rotten banana really is what puts it over the The rotten banana and... um, You could sneak everything else. You could sneak... Everything else could almost be... The rotten banana calls attention to the rest of the faults. Yeah, no, I'm going to fire up a photo. He texted me the rotten... (laughs) But, of course, um, whoever, whoever gave it to him... And then, of, of course, he'd call him out and go, hey, you know, it's not really. <laughs> All right, it's, gonna, it's garbage, whatever. And then, of course, Susie would just launch into him being like, it's nice. 
you fucking. So this is the bananas. Oh, I can't see. It. There you go. So oh. he. Goes, oh man. He goes. Some of these I recently purchased at Whole Foods. Three of these were in a gift bag. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like the idea of giving a grown man three fortune cookies and a single yogurt to get through a pandemic. It's it's yeah, it's just like it's it's that's weird. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really weird move, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. and then yeah, there were two um I like I like that one especially because it's like quarantine themed. Like, like that's, that's like, that's like, that is a legitimate quarantine, your enthusiasm experience. And those were the candle holders. (laughs) What's the point of the candle holders? I mean, I guess they're nice. Fired protein bars or granola bars. And then some off-brand, two off-brand ginger ales. All right. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and say, so wait, wait, so like this person, wait, what was the relationship between the people again? Brother and sister. Brother and sister. Definitely offloading their junk. But, but I guess still like, like, if I was desperate for something, I'd be glad I had the protein bar and the ginger ale. It's expired. The The protein protein bar or the ginger ale? Expired. It's probably still okay, though. I mean, yeah. uh, also, <laughs> by the way, grocery stores are still open. You know, it's not Caracas. Like, you can still go to Whole Foods. So the idea of, like, pulling out expired protein bars feels like a bit of a stretch. Mm. Um, what was say? Yeah, I'm trying to think if I have, like, a... Within, I mean, I had a big blow up with my roommate um, early on because they were like going out and stuff. Um, like that's like, like a Jeff and Susie moment. Well, yeah, she. I mean, like to be fair, it was like right before the stay-at-home order, but it was like already. It was like when when it was like suggested, like you know, hey. It's better if you stay at home and yeah. like, don't have people over and stuff. And like had people over, was like going to get like unessential things at places. And I was like, yeah, you mind, you know, just waiting <laughs> to do these things. And it turned into a real bad fight. But I don't know. I don't know. I it's mean- tricky. It's, tr- it's really tricky to have roommates. During this, having a roommate sounds hellish to me. It's interesting because it's like, it's like, it's in a way, it's its own sort of 2016 all over again because it's like all these people you were fine with before the election suddenly reveal this like psychological difference than you that's inconsolable, you know, irreconcilable. Um, well, I mean, no friendship should have to withstand the scrutiny of like quarantining together. Yeah, That's yeah, too much for. Well, any- yeah, I mean, me and the person I'm dating quarantined apart because we're like, we'll 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 break up in like a fucking day. Yeah, I mean, the divorce <laughs> rate's spiking. 
is I mean, honestly, it's like it's like I didn't realize that a long distance relationship was my ideal relationship. But oh, uh, <laughs> but like kind of loving it right now. Video chat every day and then I'm in my own space and they're in their own space. And uh, <laughs> like, I mean, also, we both have um, roommates. So, like, if we were to be together, we'd, like, be bringing an element into an already, like, an already set up relationship, like, an added element. And we'd be stuck in each other's room. So, it's not even like we have, like, a house where we can be separate, you know? We're, like, we'd be trapped 24-7. So, like, me doing this podcast, she'd be, like so angry just in the corner of my room being like when are you going to be done fucking talking to another person you know people can barely handle just being on the podcast with me let alone being in a room where i'm doing the podcast by the way there is no home that is large enough for these times right now like i follow this one billionaire's wife on instagram Mm -hmm. and she lives in a night of course i do you gotta manifest that (laughs) and she uh and you're but that's only in your in your vision board Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> she she literally account. she lives in a ninety five million dollar home in Beverly Hills. That's not a joke. And you see her, and she's like, she's just left her like personal gym, and she's like, uh, to everyone out there who's feeling stir crazy and trapped and <laughs> I'm like what you feel yeah. stir crazy but but that's what I'm saying it's like everyone as stupid as it seems like the inability to just go out and like be with people and do your day to day you think oh my god if only I weren't in this tiny shit box apartment but even still the people in the like massive beverly hills mansions everyone is losing their damn mind well i have two two things to say to that two two things to add to that one that kind of makes sense to me because like when you're when you know i always i always make a joke like i was like i've been like looking up places on zillow just to see like if prices are dropping on property they're not really a little bit. They have been a little bit, um, not but not like not significantly. Not not significantly to the point where I mean, you need they'd to have make to... the move. <laughs> but um, but but what's interesting is I keep my thought is like, ooh, if I got that place, that might even that could even be like two weeks of being happy for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like like you it's know, the hedonistic treadmill. The idea that like you think attaining one thing will make you happy but then once you get there then it's something else then it's something else so it's like well, yeah i just i just always try to like i'm a, but like two weeks of happy that's like that's big time that's like that's like netflix special uh <laughs> oh, netflix I, special would get me the rest of my goddamn life you say that you say that two weeks later you're more depressed than you've ever been i'm like where's my um <laughs> so so it's like it's like yeah she got that ninety five million dollar house that bought her like three weeks of uh, her and her husband three weeks of being happy and now it's just another thing then then it becomes one with it it's like it's like uh, diminished the diminishing returns of the of the, 
And when you're that kind of person, like, I think a large part of it is like constantly being able to find distractions. Like, like I, I also, I often have this theory that like almost the worst thing that can happen is achieving your dreams. Not that it's not great to achieve your dreams and not that people can't handle achieving their dreams, but if you're an unhappy person and you achieve your dreams, really what happens is you lose the thing that was going to make your unhappiness go away because you think like getting that $95 million home will be the thing that finally makes you happy. But once you get it and you find that you're still unhappy, you no longer have the dream of that thing. That's going to make this feeling go away. You just have the feeling. So I think that like being her, she's like losing her ability to go travel to France or, or like, work on a project you know like have contractors come to that 95 million dollar house to redo one of the rooms whatever just gives her her day-to-day to distract her from the sort of void she's probably feeling like you know i think a big part of trump is every day is a new piece of chaos to distract him from sitting down and realizing he's just miserable um, he's thriving under this chaos right now thrives under the chaos uh and that and idea I re- that you said about unhappy people like I read this book about bipolar disorder and the woman was like, people with bipolar are so hesitant to take lithium because they feel it's risking their last resort. So they're like, if I take that and then I am still unhappy, the idea of that is too painful to even try. And I think that's sometimes why unhappy people sabotage themselves from achieving their dreams because they're like, if I get that and I am still yeah, unhappy, I am toast. I think in a large part because they kind of know they will be in a large. Of they, course. They like like. By the it's way, like we all know. We all know. We're I think. Willing to admit it to ourselves. I think it's very important to find. It's good to have goals and dreams, but it's also super important to find happy to separate that from your emotional well-being. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think it's partially how you're wired, like, definitely, lucky or not, I'm not somebody who can be all consumed by any one thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I sort of, you know, I'm very easily able to just like, do, I don't know, like, my whole life is not like comedy. Well, it's funny, because for me, the goal, like the goals are nice rewards, but I, I relish in the doing. So it's like, I enjoy making something, yeah. doing, doing stand up, writing to. a joke. If and you if you're able to yourself. enjoy that, if you're able to enjoy that, then I say that like every good thing that comes, I have to constantly remind myself that every good thing that comes is gravy and not to get worked up about not, not getting those things. Cause you definitely lose sight of it. But, um, but I think that's the important way to approach things. Every now and like, yeah, that's how I, like with auditioning, I, I really, I love acting, whatever. But then every now and then it's just like, ouch. <laughs> if I cared about the performance of, of my old web series that I've been leaking out on Instagram, I'd kill myself. Oh, <laughs> I think I got like, I think I got like seven likes on my video yesterday. Okay, by the way, that my most distraught moment since being in quarantine is Liz Glazer asking me to go live with her. Mm-hmm. 
I have not been this humbled. <laughs> Wowzers. I've never been that humbled on stage as I was going live. We were averaging like between two to five people. <laughs> I mean, it was like, okay, I don't need to be going live. See, I feel like if I go live, I'm getting not, maybe Liz. <laughs> I, oh, yes, you were, you. you I was there. I was one, I was one of the people. You are only contributing person. I mean, and it's a good friend that doesn't count. Like, well, I was excited. I saw, I saw if I, if I catch certain people going live, I'll, I'll go check, I'll go check it out. I'm never going live again. <laughs> I've never done it. And, and, and it terrifies me. I'll frequently think like, this is the tweet. This is the tweet that's, that's going viral. And then like two likes later. Um. Oh, I love Twitter now. I'm, I'm hooked. I just started. I don't know why I'm so bad at it. Um, <laughs> you'd think a writer, you'd think a writer like me would would thrive on Twitter. It's a yeah. it's a very specific person. I think there has to be this like, I think you have to be tapped into the internet in a way that I am just not. Yeah, I am, I certainly am not as well. Oh yeah, what was the other thing I want to say? Oh yeah, and the other thing I wanted to relate to the um to the to the mansion story was. When I was a kid, you know, I grew up in like, I always like to say, I like to describe my parents' wealth as like, we could afford the worst seats to anything, you know, any concert, sporting event, we could go and we were sitting in the back, but anything. But you were there. <laughs> well, we were there. We were there sitting at the top row behind backstage looking at Billy Joel's bald spot through a pair of very expensive binoculars. Um, uh, but, um, but my mom, like we, I get into fights and she'd be like, she'd tell me about like her upbringing and how much better I have it. And I'd be, and I would say to her, even as a kid, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, mom, but I don't have that as a reference point. I only know what my existence is and this sucks. Right now. <laughs> yeah, sure. Kids are starving in Africa and that would be way worse than this for me because this is rock bottom for me right now. And this is terrible. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, this is my starving in Africa right now, mom. Um. <laughs> and yeah, and that version is just so uninteresting. You know, it's not even like a great story to tell people. Mm hmm. I wanted to write this. I've always wanted to write this play about these, like this rich brother and sister that just like lose everything and uh, are just in this apartment and like don't know the, how to like clean. Shit's Creek Theater Edition. Sort of, sort of. I just had this idea that there's like a dinner party that all these people who are just like, you know, like brown nosing them because they're rich are there, and then in the middle of the dinner they find out that they're poor. And everyone abandons them and they don't know how to like clear the table of the dishes. That was like my big idea. They just don't know how to. That was my big play moment that they just can't like clean the dishes off the table themselves. And New York theater critics being like, wow, this symbolism. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I today can never get the. Mom, today, my mom goes, um, I think Norway is about to open back up. And my dad goes, Broadway? <laughs> and she goes, Norway! 
Ugh. I'm like, could you imagine if Broadway was just like, enough is enough. The show must go on. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just like, I just, I've never felt worse about being an American than right now. It just, this moment feels like the worst moment for this country in my lifetime. Because it's just like, I see these videos online of like people going to church and stuff and being like the, the blood of Christ will protect me. And I'm just like, man, this is my fucking country. That person's vote matters so much more than my vote because of where they live. Yeah. Your vote means nothing. My vote means nothing. I very, somebody asked me, um, how I was going to deal with, uh, Trump winning re-election by a landslide. I was like, we'll be fine in the independent Republic of California. <laughs> uh, <laughs> California? Uh, wow, we have to tip our hat to how well California is doing in this. I, you know, That's it's like, proud about. I have tons of issues with Garcetti and Gavin Newsom, but I appreciate the baseline. I feel like it's like, it's. I feel like it's upsetting that we've gotten to such a low point in this country that I tip my hat to baseline responsibility to baseline like uh <laughs> doing the right thing yeah i mean baseline competence baseline competence is so impressive at this point um because we've just seen such gross incompetence and such gross corruption that like baseline competence and minor corruption is like good job guys um I saw this poll earlier that said, if you if you woke up tomorrow with the ability to move objects with your mind, what would you use it for? And uh, move people six feet away from me, just <laughs> right now, <laughs> just on my walks, just to move people across the street as I'm walking. Not to move ventilators out of storage, but. No, I'm very very focused on myself um right. if i if i and was you in be proud of america you know they're just doing what you're doing on a larger more impressive scale yeah but my whole thing is you know i i, I have a joke where i'm like um every once in a while i'll see people giving trump such a hard time for like doing something stupid and i'll be like, that's not fair i do that but then i remember oh yeah i shouldn't be the president you know I feel like not enough people remember that they shouldn't be the president. Having the self-awareness that you should not be president is key. I mean, Joe Exotic didn't have it. I know. It's In fact, it's the platform I plan to run on. Um. <laughs> I care enough about you to not run. Therefore, you should vote for me. Exactly. Exactly. Zach Mendez said I'm like negging. I'm negging people into voting for me. Don't vote for me. I don't want your vote. <laughs> I I couldn't think of anything I'd want to do less than be president. Right? That's how you know you're a happy person. Because you got to be fucking miserable. You got to be miserable to want to be the president. What happy person thinks I want to be in charge of everyone? I don't want to wake up every day. Well, period. <laughs> <laughs> but... I don't want to wake up every day and immediately 
have to handle the state of an entire nation. I, I don't want that. I mean, mm-hmm. half the time I'm like, I can't even be bothered to make my own coffee. One of, like, my, one of my absolute favorite jokes I've ever heard is this Brian Regan joke where he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, I, I, I could never be the president. Could you imagine being woken up every day like this? Problems. All kinds of problems. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> so many problems every day being woken up like that. Um, but even like pausing my like spectrum account i was like oh i have to call spectrum like that that's not the mindset of somebody who should put themselves into like a positional leadership oh yeah i mean the amount of stuff i get done on a daily basis feels embarrassing right now Um, yeah i mean i do like a yoga video i'm like damn patting myself on the back i've had this screenplay open on my computer like since the beginning of the quarantine and i've been like all you got to do josh is fix these two pages in this one scene haven't done it yet do it josh i know i know i know do i need to I, I can't figure out what to do to fix them but uh, i gotta fix them Sit with it though that's the thing is hmm? you just have to sit with it i feel like with writing like if the answers aren't immediately coming to you, you sort of like push yourself away from it. But forcing yourself to even sit in that, eventually there's a breakthrough. It just sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. I just gotta, I gotta, I gotta do that. Uh, last thing I will talk about, cause I was thinking about this the other day when you and Liz were on Instagram live and Liz was talking about and Liz was saying that I was a person she felt intimidated by. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, at one point before, I guess, we became friends. And, and the funny thing was, so a couple of funny elements to that. One is that um, I thought Liz, because like I had been doing stand-up for like a very short period of time, and I was hanging out with Ben Hurwitz a lot. And like I had heard about Liz a little bit and he's like doing things with Liz Glazer. And in my mind, like because Liz wasn't around, but I was hearing about her because she was just off doing whatever Liz does. I thought Liz was like the semi famous person, which in a weird way, Liz kind of is in a way Mm -hmm. that does feel like Liz is somewhat has been somewhat taking off. Um but before I, but it's funny that she was sitting in the back of the room, like nervous or feeling intimidated by me, while I was like sitting back there, like thinking Liz was this person I couldn't even really talk to, because uh, <laughs> she was succeeding so wildly. Then I just, you know, didn't quite know who she was. The name sounded famous too, Liz Glazer. There's a lot of Glazers. Yeah, Alana Glazer. Alana Glazer. I think I might have confused them somewhat with each other just from the name. Um, and, uh, and then the other thing I wanted to add, which I should have added in that moment, but I'm glad I get to add it here with you today is that I was actually intimidated by you the first time I was at a mic with you. And I bet you, you'll remember this mic. 
because it was one of the most horrific open mic experiences I've ever experienced. Cause like I had just come back to doing stand up after like eight years of not doing it. And I was like, you're going to do it for real, Josh. You're going to suffer through the mics. Like you used to not let yourself suffer through when you were younger. And so I go to this mic at cafe Americano. Do you remember the one where the garbage just smelt horrific in there? And like, we just all stayed. And I was like, I was like, I was in my head. I was like, you would leave this, Josh, but you're doing stand up for real. And sometimes you got to suffer being in a room that just smells like straight up garbage. I would leave that room in a second today. I would be like, this is not worth my time. But you and Rick Cesario are there. And I even remember one of the jokes you made. You uh, you compared this plant to like the Grinch giving the middle finger. I don't know if you remember <laughs> your joke but i thought i thought you and rick were like these seasoned open micers have been doing it for like a long time and i was this oh neurotic cool. this scared newbie who was like no one cares about who i am <laughs> which also partially true um, it's funny though because we all like pretty much started in la around the same time mm-hmm. i guess when did you start um, I started the beginning of 2018. The beginning of 2018. Okay. I think I started again. My like restart, which is sort of my start start, would be September 2018. So yeah, pretty much exact because I started end of January. And I had done it for a minute in New York, but sort of. I did it for like a minute in New York and I did it for a minute out here too. And then I just stopped for like eight years. And then I was I like, I don't ever foresee you giving it up again. The idea that you were able to easily walk away from it surprises me. Well, I mean, the funny thing is if you like, you, you probably don't remember me when I was like first back at it, but like, you know, I certainly empathize with people who are at Bert's back room and like getting very nervous about doing the mic at Bert's back room to a bunch of people who aren't paying attention when that's just like nothing to us at this point. Because like because like I'd be up on stage, I'd have my notebook open on the stool behind me. I'd look at it almost like I don't I almost didn't need to, but I just had to look at it to like to like feel comforted by just knowing it was there to like see the joke and then go in and like terrify it was like a crutch yeah so like so like but like i just did it so intensely i was like i'm gonna do as many as i can a day there was a point i remember my record being i hit seven unique mics in one day um there I was, was just a like, time where yeah like if i wasn't doing 20 to 25 mics a week i was like i have failed and then talk about diminishing returns i mean totally i was just like i was like you keep hearing people say like it's all about repetition on stage and it and it's hard to like get that but i always feel like the best analogy i can make is like if you're going to the gym and working out you're not gonna see like day one to day two you're not gonna like look great but one day you're just going to notice, hey, I look better than I used to. Absolutely. And, and because, yeah, I think like initially with the hitting mics that hard, I think that that's the important initial stage where you have to do it obsessively to just be like, 
I feel no fear whatsoever in an open mic. It's about yeah. getting to that stage and it's about getting a sense of how you hold yourself, how you speak on like, so like a sense of self and like where we're at now, it's like, now it's those higher stake moments that I need more opportunities at to then get to the next level. Definitely. I remember, I remember very much feeling like, like one of the most um, revealing moments to me about like where I was at was the first time I got a late night spot at the improv. It was like, uh, it was Annie Lederman, Jada Catapretta, Josh Adam Meyerowitz, uh, or Josh, is that, no, not Josh Adam Meyerowitz. What's, what's his name? You know what I'm talking about? No. Josh Adam Myers. Um, uh, uh, they were, they were on the lineup with me and I was like after the three of them and all three of them kind of bombed. Um, they all sort of bombed their sets. But like we're pretty carefree about it. Jamie Lee, of course, Jamie Lee did really nothing bomb. for them. Yeah, and and then I got up on stage and I did like my most polished, of course, best five minutes, and had a pretty good set. But was like, but also felt how tight I was on stage and like how big a moment it was for me. And when I walked off, I realized to myself that like this is Bert's to them, and this and. And this is like the but fucking it's important special to never, today. Yeah, but it's also, it's this weird thing of like, not ever per se losing that sense. Like I remember in acting in New York, I got cast in a reading for this Broadway play and I was up there with all these like heavy hitting actors mm -hmm. and they were just like sort of like, there, like the day of the reading, they were like there, sort of like looking over their lines. And I came with the entire fucking play memorized, you know, just for a reading. And like they weren't really doing much. And I was like giving it my all. And it's like, yeah, you that's you sort of need to maintain that, you know, because there's really never a sense in any performing arts where you've fully arrived oh well but i don't i don't even mean like they were like not caring i more mean like this was they their work this was yeah, their yeah, workout yeah. room yeah, yeah, like yeah. they were no. walking up with like this isn't fully formed yet yeah. but it's 1 a.m at the improv to like 15 people yeah. let me see if i've got something here where i'm like here is my letterman set <laughs> you know because I go to Burt's to do my workout. The scaredest I've ever been with that is I was performing stand-up in front of my parents for the first time at the improv. And Tim Dillon walks up to me and goes, do you mind if I go in front of you? I'm trying to get to, <laughs> I'm trying to, get to a Greek restaurant. And I'm like, all right, Tim, this is a pickle. Because on one hand, the idea of saying no to you makes me want to vomit because I idolize you. But on the other hand, the idea of following, following you makes me want to vomit. <laughs> so ultimately I, I let him and like still my family goes, you know, who's good. Is that, is that Tim Dillon guy? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's good. I know. I sure. know he's good. <laughs> I'm aware. Um, what was 
I had a similar thing happen to me. So when I was in New York, I like really like so to t- I cannot express how deeply not right it was for me to have somehow gotten myself into this position at the point at which I'd done stand up like seven times. But but through like the fact that I took this class at Caroline's and I was like like the best person in that class of people who none of which do stand up anymore. Um, and like the booker had like ties to Fallon, which was late night at the time, not the tonight show. Um, I got this opportunity to perform on a Fallon showcase, which I was just like deeply not ready for. Like, it was like, if I had like a great set, I could have possibly gotten on, which was just never going to happen. Cause I was just, I've I've like deleted every tape that I have from that era because they're just so horrendous. But um, the night before, I was like, let me just watch some stand up, just like you know, study. And I decided I was gonna watch Jim Gaffigan, and I was watching Gaffigan, and I was thinking to myself, ugh, this guy just puts me to shame. Um, like, well, I'll never be this good. And then uh, and then I'm backstage, like running my lines over and over and over again in my head and then Jim Gaffigan walks into the green room goes up to the booker asks if he can have a few minutes and then puts him on right before me and I literally the night before was watching him thinking this guy puts me to fucking shame that's poetic that's yeah, like, that's almost like if I saw that in a film, I'd go, eh, it's a little on the nose. Uh, I could, it was like, yeah, it was surreal. By the way, do you know what my mom's number one feedback for me is when she watches me do stand up? Be more like Jim Gaffigan. Be more like Jim Gaffigan. Hilarious, hilarious. I'm You're like, not on it. On it. <laughs> I don't see you as a Jim Gaffigan type. I know. I like, listen, I mean, this is obviously a stretch, but if she was like, you know, be more like Tignataro, be more like, um, why am I forgetting her name? Natasha Legero. I'd be like, okay. But to just be like, I, I need more bacon bits. For <laughs> well, I need what... more wholesome bits about bacon. That's just what, that's just what our moms, you know, my mom, I love, Whenever I talk about movies with my mom, she um, she calls both Robert De Niro and Al Pacino Al De Niro. That's just her name for both of them. So she, <laughs> um, I think it's almost like a bit at this point for her. But she's like, she's like, I watched the new Al De Niro movie. Uh, <laughs> you, it's good. I like it. Or she wants me. She wants me to be Seinfeld. That's what she wants me to be. Which I guess I'm like. I don't know if why. I'm a mother. I wouldn't mind if my son was Seinfeld. I don't know why that comparison annoys me because I do like Seinfeld, and I even, I even to a certain degree get it, but it always bothers me when people say it. I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather be Larry David than Jerry Seinfeld. Totally, totally, and I feel like, I feel like deep down, I am. Um, or deep down I am I'd rather let me let me let me let me humble myself a little more deep down I'm more George than I am Jerry um honey you're Kramer no you're Newman I'm not no I'm a little Newman 
Uh, <laughs> you know, like Julia Louise Dreyfus, which is like so weird to me. I can see it a little bit, a little bit. And last night I was FaceTiming with Robbie Hoffman and I pitched her this sketch that I want her to do for Unorthodox in which she would be a Hasidic Jew. And she's like, you should do it. You look more Jewish than I do. And I'm like, no one looks more Jewish than Robbie Hoffman. I know. And she's like, <laughs> people confuse you for being Jewish all the time. I'm like, I don't know. The name Mary, sort of. Robbie Hoffman is literally Woody Allen. If Woody Allen was a lady turning back into Woody Allen. <laughs> she is so goddamn funny. I'm trying to get her to send me her special. Uh, Robbie, yeah, yeah. Um, with none of the bad things. I mean, I, I don't mm. know Robbie that well, but. <laughs> There's none of the bad things. None of the bad things, but uh, yeah, Robbie, Robbie is super, super, super funny. Um, so, spe so specific, so specific. Which is, but cute. I feel like I feel like your voice is very specific too, Mary. I feel like you, you, you've got, you've got very distinct character about you on stage. It's, I appreciate it's, that. It's the quality. It's so funny. Um, the guy I made my documentary about, he always is um, freaking out about people stealing his material. And I'm always like, Al, literally half your material is about your name. Who could steal your material? <laughs> like, like I have I, to watch your documentary. Oh, Can yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you a link. Thank you. you. Um, it's just like, it's so funny. Like, uh, Sarah Lawrence, and this is a very nice thing Sarah Lawrence said about me. But it's funny because it runs almost contrary to what I what I think is the best makes for the best comedy. But she was like saying she was saying to someone, someone it came back to me that Sarah was saying that what she likes about me is that like my writing is such that like like my jokes could work for anyone. Like I write jokes that are like just like funny jokes independent of the person. That's but, like, like Jerry Seinfeld. I know, I know. That's why. Like, I feel like I, I'm always fearing turning off the audience with, uh, with some of the places I go with it. Like an edgier. I don't, I don't get dirty, but I get edgy. Um, I don't think you get edgy to an off-putting extent. I think not to an off-putting extent, but I'm just, I'm just willing to go places. I like my. My favorite comedy is very much two things. Either people, and this is where this is where I try to fit in, people who challenge the way you think about certain subjects, like Chappelle. I feel like Chappelle yeah. takes your preconceived notions about a certain thing and then flips them on their head and challenges you to think about them a different way. Chappelle, Bill Burr, um, Louis C.K. R.I.P. Uh, and uh, <laughs> oh, oh, although I guess back from the dead this back Easter, from the dead. Uh, this Easter, a comedian <laughs> rises from the dead. <laughs> a Jewish uh, comedian. Barely Jewish. Um, I don't I think he's actually technically not Jewish, but a little bit. Uh, There's got to be some in there. But then my other favorite, which I think is different than them, because I think, uh, you know, outside of like Bilber's voice and Chappelle's sort of like racial aspect to his comedy, you can very much tell their jokes and they're funny. But then there's the other thing, which is just the inimitable comic, 
like the comic who's so specific and so unique and such an entity within their comedy that like it's stuff that only works for them. And that's people like Al or Eddie Pepitone or, or Andy Kindler or Lizzie Cooperman or Deborah Giovanni. There's like such a specificness about the rhythm and the aesthetic and, and the, and the sound of their voice that makes their like, like I can tell you jokes of theirs and they're funny, but it's also like, funny yeah it's not if i went on stage and tried to do deborah's bit like if i did the bit about like uh my favorite joke of hers is the one it's like you know i i don't i i don't have any cats but i but i house it for them and like i always wonder if the cat's thinking oh, yeah. like you know what am i doing i'm out there and, and then i'm thinking well what's the cat doing when i'm home is she doing comedy like what's the deal with all the crying um it's so funny because it's Deborah and like and the image of Deborah <laughs> crying in front of the cat all the time. It, it just it works on all her. those levels that are so funny. Or Eddie Pepitone, just like the anger. This I love. I, I think love like his, I was just trying to whenever I tell people an Eddie Pepitone joke or bit, I always like do this like god awful impersonation of him because if I'm just doing it as like a deadpan white chick, it's like get out of here. Exactly. You have to, like try to take on Eddie Pepitone. Totally. Like, and it's it's like it's not even jokes. I remember he was like, uh, he was like, all oh, the all you comedians, you're at home, you're like raisins. What's the, what? What about raisins is funny? How do I make a bit about raisins and? <laughs> and it's it's just like his imp- it just like you could just feel his hate almost <laughs> there You're should like, be he should be on a tv show like i mean but this is this is the thing what you were saying earlier about like and you you and i have gotten into this when i've said you're a great joke writer that's well i like to just give people a hard time to say it about me well but i do think like i think stand-ups unintentionally sort of put themselves when they're performing into one of two camps. Either you look at them and you're like, let's get this person in a writer's room or you're like, let's throw this person on a sitcom. Mm -hmm. Like the, you know, and realistically. (laughs) So I'm in a writer's room. Keep (laughs) keep this guy's face off the screen. (laughs) Keep this guy... Keep this guy locked up in some hole with a bunch of other Jews. <laughs> Let's get this guy's canters for lunch. Well, that, that's my, that's uh, like, it's sort of my joke. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of like in recognition about it. I mean, I remember when I went to New York and, um, and I was like doing mics for like three weeks in the, like after that's like the laughing Buddha. I went to the Laughing Buddha. Ugh, like That's spent, like or, spent like forty dollars to get like five minutes. It's and then everyone's just... bits about their like how they have trust funds, and I'm like, well, no shit. We've all just <laughs> the most aggressive. Like, you just emptied it to do this mic. Uh, the most aggressively capitalistic fucking place on earth, New York City. But I love it. My my overpriced mistress. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but she's so hot. Um, but, uh, but I remember like getting back to LA from New York and feeling like I really like the comedy scene. 
I love like like the vibe of doing comedy in New York, but I just like the comics better out here. And my joke about it is it's like it's so diverse out here. You get so many like unique styles of comedy out here. They're like just in the open mic scene, there will be like Callahan Welsh and Mikey McKiernan and Monterey Martinez and you and and uh, just like everyone is so different and specific and unique out here and such a wide gamut. And my and my feeling about the comics in New York was I felt like everyone was just a worse version of me. Um, uh, little hey, <laughs> has anyone ever told you you're special? <laughs> they have my mom and my teacher that I told it to. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I, but it's funny. Like there's a part of me that feels like I belong there once this pandemic is over and a lot of them have been killed. Um, <laughs> and there's more. Or openings. Quit. Do you think a lot of people will quit? No, I actually think the opposite's going to happen. I bet you we're going to get a greater influx of comics. Than around than- New Year's. New Year's, yeah. I think I think there's so many people locked up in their home right now being like, I never tried stand-up. What if this yeah. kills me and I never followed my... I think my a dream? lot of people will quit, too. Who? Think- Nobody quits anymore. Nobody quits, huh? <laughs> it's so rare when I notice that someone hasn't been around for a while. <laughs> Who has quit that we started with? Um, I don't know if he quit as much as moved away, but do you remember Duat Ma? No, that's quite. I haven't seen him. Duat uh, Ma. Duat, Duat, D-U-A-T. Uh, I, I haven't seen Cooper Lee in a while. Do you remember Cooper Lee? He talked about working. No, no, Cooper Lee talked about like working at his parents' uh, laundry place. Like every bit was about the the donut shop and the laundry place. Asian, Asian guy, of course. <laughs> um, I haven't seen him in a while. Well, there's generally. But, uh, but me and Ben Hurwitz were talking about this. Um, our theory is that um, a combination of, of Instagram and slotted mics is what keeps people from quitting. Because... Uh, I was saying that, like, maybe this disease would do for the open mic scene what 40-person, three-minute-long bucket mics used to. Uh, yeah. Because, no, like, when no. I... Because, like, I quit. I quit. I went. I, like, couldn't do it anymore. I was, like... I was, like... I'd, like, spend my night driving from work through rush-hour traffic to an open mic 45 yeah, minutes done. away... Uh, to throw my name into a bucket with 40 other people who hate my guts for never seeing me before because I'm not friends with the host, get picked last, go up to two people who don't laugh at a word I say, and then go home and feel like, am I making any headway in comedy? Was this worth it at all? But now it's like you can pay $5, go up in front of nine people, be in the room for an hour, do as many mics as you can afford, get on some show, post a flyer. Everyone back home thinks you're making it and they don't see how you did on the show. So that's, uh, I think that's what keeps people from quitting. 
God, it's dark. <sighs> it gets, it gets, it, it gets dark. But again, it's like it's it's the question. But it's is, also you, so fun. It's the yeah. most fun. Are you doing it because you want to be Anthony Jesselnik, or are you doing it because you like doing it? You know, and that's if you're exactly do- why I'm doing it. I want to be Jesselnik. <laughs> you're in fact, if there is a comic you're similar to in certain ways, you're not. You're not like. You have a certain air about yourself on stage, like him. You're not like I said. You there's a quality of you that reminds me of Jesselnik. It's not you don't do one-liners, and you're not like, and you're not like trying to offend people on stage, but you kind of carry yourself similarly. Um, I know that. I think the way I carry myself is offensive enough. If I double down, (laughs) well, that's how he carries. That's. That's his whole thing is carrying himself like he's better than everyone and then saying things that would cancel me. Um. <laughs> like, I love like how Tim Dillon just always refers to people as like fat fucks and all that stuff. I'm like. You're like, you're like Jesselnik's demeanor, Tim Dillon's attitude. Um I, now you're getting way. I don't need my head exploding. <laughs> well, well, you know you've got you got work to do. Uh, <laughs> but but it's 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 Whole the direct lot of work to it do. Clear, it, the influences are are, are clear. You're a lot I, like Deborah D. Giovanni. Thank you. <laughs> Only aesthetically. <laughs> Deborah um, Pepitone. Oof. Oof. If only, if only. I feel like I feel like Deborah and Pepitone represent my failings. Um. <laughs> Eddie, I Eddie was going before me on a show, and he had the audacity to make fun of my name for being stupid. And I'm like, sorry, I'm not named Eddie fucking Pepitone. Like, what kind of a name is that? I mean, I definitely envy the people who are able to be on stage with nothing and just be funny like them, like Simon Gibson. I feel like Simon Gibson's a mini Eddie Pepitone. Yeah. Um, I, I just admire like, they're just, they're, they're, they're just fun energy. I, I feel it almost feels like it comes so easy to them in a way where I have to work so hard. I feel like I have their ass off. Totally, totally, totally. I just feel like I feel like I I would say like I feel like me doing stand up is more often like classical music and they're like jazz. Like like you know, with the right, like I very much like, like I, I get the writing comment, but I also feel like I very much write the performance as well, that there is like a specific pattern, delivery and cadence to make it land. I'd say like, like Sam Morell, someone I super, super love that like I identify with as a comic and like super New York guy. Um, but um, they're the black swan and you're the white swan. Yeah, there's just there's just jazz to like Eddie up on stage. It's you, not like clean. You should do a sketch like that, like you know Natalie Portman and Black Swan. Have you seen mm-hmm. that? Yes. Uh, they're like trying to get her to like break the rules. You should <laughs> do. You should do a white and black swan stand up. 
Well, it's weird. It's like it's like there's an aspect of like trying to be comfortable with who you are on stage. It's weird because I'll have out there thoughts, but then I get up on stage and I don't feel like myself doing them. I think stand up in a way is like truly a vehicle to reach self-realization. Totally, totally. Like, if you... It's you really have to look at yourself in a way that if you were not pursuing stand up, you otherwise would never have to. I think I think a big self-realization that a lot of people come to with stand up comedy, maybe most, is I think a lot of people self-realize that they're racist. I think that's a big uh self-realization that stand-up comedy brings to many comics a lot of self-realization that they're sexist <laughs> and that they have deep childhood trauma they self-realize that as well yeah people aren't learning that they're actually like rachel cuthbert was like talking about how she was dating this guy at one point this is a while ago and uh how he wanted to come to burt's and do and do a set and he wasn't a comic and i was like and I was like, uh, for your sake, you shouldn't do it. But for our sake, I'd love to see it. It's like it's a great opportunity for you to learn uh, how racist, sexist and that he was touched as a child. <laughs> it is so fascinating, the idea of like someone who's never tried stand up. It's like you give someone who's lived X number of years on this earth and you're like, OK, you have five minutes to speak. Mm hmm. Watching what they decide is like really a window into like their psyche. Fuck! I had a uh, like one of my most popular tweets ever was about like one of my what most I would popular give. tweets. Yeah, it got like eleven likes or something crazy like that. Is that how bad um, you were at Twitter? I'm bad. I'm bad. Oh, eleven <laughs> likes. Uh, eleven likes is pretty hot for me. Um, Stop it! I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. I'm that bad. Josh, uh, you you write my, good jokes. I listen. I think my tweets are. I as I as if you you actually recently liked my uh, pin tweet, which I think is the deep truth of my Twitter is that I'm the Van Gogh of Twitter. I'm writing the best tweets nobody respects for their in their time. Uh, Josh, I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed. I'm disturbed. There was a period of time where I felt like I was just spitting hot fire on Twitter, just like. <laughs> You like I couldn't be stopped. Up. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Do I don't know. I don't get this this internet stuff. I don't get these kids. Dude, in there. I'm bad at it too. I feel like <laughs> a boomer. Yeah, yeah, I we are. Feel like such a boomer. It's it's. Uh... Oh, Josh. Oh, what? darling, this is devastating. This, de I mean, wow. Yeah, but the look at the quality. Look at the to followers. Come on, my. Yeah, friend. I know. Nobody you wants to follow. You nobody wants to follow a yeah. Nobody wants to follow nobody, a follower. Look, look, if if you're not one of my close friends, I look at this. I think this is a madman. <laughs> I think oh, we've got a deranged lunatic on our hands, Josh. Your but, assignment tonight is to finish those scenes in your film, and for the love of God. Unfollow 600 people minimum. <laughs> um, and uh, one of them cannot be me because I need every follower I can get. No, I won't unfollow you. But, you know, I have sort of have an attitude about all the social media stuff that I'm just going to, like, 
do whatever the fuck you want. Who cares? Don't let, don't let, don't let, don't let do outside. Not, no, do not follow a thousand people when you have under 400 followers. Do not, <sighs> do not do that. <laughs> yeah, but look at how hot some of these tweets are. Josh, like, I just told you what they. the problem is. Anyone yeah, I, who doesn't I know you looks at this and goes, oh my God. They go, this is a man who self-quarantined voluntarily his whole life. I got nothing for a joke I tweeted that made you laugh when I when I worked it into this podcast. Naturally, this when I viscerally worked it into this podcast. By the way, <laughs> I, I bet a whole bunch of stuff was worked into this podcast. Oh, for sure, for sure. Laser being intimidated by you. Um, I just happened to remember a moment. Well, that was that was that was a topic. That was a topic for right, discussion. Right. Um. Uh. I will. I will wrap this. This podcast. This has actually been my longest episode um, of, of the show. We really, we really, we really yeah. got into it, Mary. Uh, I'll wrap it up here, and then I'll, and then I'll, I'll stop the recording, and then another, I'll, yeah. and then I'll give you the info that that you wanted that I, I don't feel appropriate. I have to do a voiceover audition for Boss Baby. I don't. Again. But, uh, but real quick, anything you want to promote before I wrap up the uh, show? Yeah, co- come watch me and my boomer parents sit our asses on TV and eat Cheetos. <laughs> there you go. You can uh, do that on Mary's Instagram. Oh, or- Twitter. Please follow me at Ramsey one I have no followers. And, I'm- and, uh, and if you don't start following her now, she'll never follow you because uh, she's got to keep those numbers down. I for an eye. Uh, and then if you have any questions, want to want me to talk about anything on the show, no one's emailed me yet. You can be the first at quarantine podcast at One gmail. At One at a time, everybody. All right. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you soon. Bye.